Welcome to Double Truck Stories, the home to some of the best features, investigations, and character portraits from across ESPN. I'm Mike Philbrick, your host for the Double Truck Stories podcast. Remember to subscribe to Double Truck Stories podcast on the ESPN app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You have to see Saquon Parkley to believe it. No, not just on the football field at Penn State, where he put up numbers you only get in rookie mode on Madden, but on the blue-collar streets of Copley, Pennsylvania, where Barkley was raised not just by his family, but by a whole town to be ready for this moment in his life. Once you do get a chance to see those two sides of Barkley, you'll get the feeling he isn't really saying goodbye to his hometown to go play for the New York Giants, as much as he is commuting, traveling to work, but never actually leaving, at least not mentally. It's a sentiment everyone in Barkley's hometown believes from the coaches to the councilmen to the county executive. And once Barkley steps onto the biggest stage in football, they're all pretty sure that you'll believe it too. Stick around after the story from my conversation with ESPN senior writer Ian O'Connor as we talk about how the next NFL superstar plans on never forgetting where he came from. Now we present Saquon Barkley's Legend Runs Deep by Ian O'Connor. Saquon Barkley's Legend Runs Deep in his Pennsylvania hometown by Ian O'Connor. Copley, Pennsylvania. A young, red-headed driver pulled up to the corner of Second and Chestnut, lowered his window, and asked an officer if he would remove the barricade in the street. Nick Shefniski used to be the star quarterback at Whitehall High and Lehigh University, but on this day, he was merely Eastern Pennsylvania's most valuable chauffeur. I've got Saquon in here, Shefniski explained. On the nearest corner stood Samuel Owen's casual family dining with a banner advertising a dollar-off happy hour special over a sign that read, Best of luck, Saquon. Across the street, in front of Giant Food and Drug Store, stood two large signs side by side, one announcing that afternoon, March 24th, as Saquon Barkley Day, and the other announcing Copley as the little town that could, one square mile of God's little masterpiece. The officer moved the barricade so Shefniski could turn left in his Acura, and drop off his former teammate in front of his home. On this cold and cloudless day, with the streets framed by diminishing snowbanks, a neighbor's chimes could be heard jingling in the wind. Up the street, some locals were eating their eggs and toast at the countertop inside a breakfast joint called the Bacon Strip. Barkley spilled out of Chef Nisky's car wearing a gray hoodie, then climbed the stairs to his front porch and greeted the family and friends waiting for him. Six miles from Allentown, Copley could pass for something from another Billy Joel song. It is a working man's refuge, an old mill town known for its medieval-looking kilns and the production of the first Portland cement in the United States in the early 1870s. But on this Saturday, it would be known for delivering the world a running back destined to go down as the next small-town hero from a state that takes its football about as seriously as they take it in Texas. Someday, Saquon Barkley of Copley, might be remembered with the legends from the western side of Pennsylvania, like Joe Montana of Monongahela and Joe Namath of Beaver Falls. Men, women, and children poured in from all over, some wearing his Penn State jersey, number 26, to witness the parade and ceremony. An estimated 3,200 people live in Copley. An estimated 5,000-plus people showed up for Barclay's hometown bash. The fans who could not wait for the festivities walked right up to Barclay's porch to say hello. 
Around the corner from Gigi's Pizza and Pasta Grill, the Barkley home is a modest brick-faced row house with an exposed light bulb hanging over the front door. Strangers approached and asked Barkley to sign footballs and caps and to pose for pictures. And he accommodated every last request with his million-dollar smile. Soon enough, he was whisked away and loaded into a Plymouth Prowler. Barkley sat on top of his seat and held his young nephew as the car headed down Chestnut with a few cops walking ahead and two riding on horseback behind it. His father, Ola Bay Barkley, mother, Tanya Johnson, siblings, an expectant girlfriend, Anna Congdon, all rode in convertibles while people cheered from both sides of the road. War veterans marched, and so did the Whitehall High Band. Fans in New York Giants jerseys shouted their hopes that their team would take Barkley with the number two overall pick in the upcoming draft. The procession ended in Sailor Park, where local dignitaries and coaches gathered with Barkley and his parents on a makeshift stage near the old towering kilns. Brian Gilbert, Barkley's high school coach, spoke of how his star running back embodied the hard-working, blue-collar community that gets nothing handed to us. Gilbert added, With Saquon's parents living in the heart of Copley, I think it was just bred right into Saquon. Phil Armstrong, county executive, recalled working the down markers for many years at Whitehall Games. He used to drop the chains and flee whenever a ball carrier approached, with defenders in close pursuit, to avoid being barreled over. But then I found out nobody ever caught you, Armstrong told Barkley. So by the time you were a senior, I just stood there and held the chains and watched you fly by. Stephen Berker, a 67-year-old councilman, who had spent 15 years working in an Allentown slaughterhouse, took the microphone to introduce the man of the hour. This celebration was Berker's idea. He convinced Barkley's parents that the borough merely wanted to honor Saquon before the draft, not exploit him, even as the councilman admitted, this is one of the biggest days in the history of Copley. Berker called Barkley to the podium, and the crowd went wild. Barkley admitted he was nervous. He praised the advocates who pushed him to improve his poor grades at Whitehall High School and spoke of sacrifices made by his mother and father. Everyone loves to praise me on my character, which I'm so thankful for, Barkley told his fans. But that's a true testament speaking to my parents, how they raised me. I'm so thankful having these two in my life. Barkley promised that soon after he's drafted, he would buy his mother a house in the area because Copley and Whitehall are definitely home for me. And I promised my mom that since I was a little kid, and I'm definitely going to make that dream come true. Now, Barkley is eight days away from living the dream, from being drafted, from following Super Bowl champions Matt Millen and Dan Coppin as Whitehall grads who made it to the NFL. The franchise that picks Barkley won't only be getting the best of Copley, Pennsylvania. It will also be getting the Bronx-born son of a once-troubled fighter, and the woman who wouldn't let him or anyone else take her family down. Olibay Barkley lifted the sleeve of his sweatshirt to reveal a New York Jets tattoo above his left elbow. He liked them long before his son Saquon decided he wanted to someday run the football like Curtis Martin. That's the team that, when I was going through my hard times, they pulled me through a lot of stuff, Olibay said. Raised poor in the Bronx, the son of a shoemaker and nephew of former world boxing champ Iran Barkley, Alabay was an amateur fighter who was once his own worst enemy. He got nailed on a robbery charge as a teenager, 
before violating probation with an arrest for possessing an unlicensed gun. Alibay explained to the officers that he had just read the Second Amendment. I thought I had the right to bear arms, he said. Alibay said he spent nearly a year inside Rikers Island, then did some boxing before a shoulder injury knocked him out of the ring. He was arrested four additional times for various offenses between 1992 and 2000, each time serving between two and seven days, according to the New York City Department of Correction. He was also trying and failing to kick a drug habit that was controlling his life. Alabay started a family with his Bronx born and raised wife, Tanya Johnson. But over time, Johnson saw gang activity run amok in their Southern Boulevard neighborhood. Her aunt and grandmother had moved to Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, where Johnson savored the green grass and fresh air on visits with her children. When I was a kid, she said, I always wanted to move out of New York. In 2001, when Saquon and his sister Shaquana were young, their mother finally left to protect their future. It was now or never, Johnson said. The block I was living on was getting a little too out of hand, and I didn't want to live in fear for my kids. You hear some of these stories about people who lost childhood friends, and I didn't want to be one of those mothers. Johnson told Alabay she was leaving for Bethlehem, with or without him, his choice. He decided to follow his family and attempt to start living drug-free. That showed me his character, Johnson said. Johnson and the Barclays escaped New York, but they didn't escape poverty. They moved from Bethlehem to Allentown and ended up homeless for a while as the children stayed with relatives and friends. In 2005, they moved to Copley, where 13 years later, Saquon proved himself worthy of a parade. Alabay, 49, said on his son's big day in March that he has been clean for 17 or 18 years, then quickly offered this correction. I slipped up one time out here. That was like in 04, and that was when we were homeless, and I didn't know what to do. That lasted for like four months, and after that, I was clean. Last spring, Alabay filed a federal lawsuit against the Allentown police and the local transit agency alleging racial discrimination over a 2016 incident that started as an argument with a bus driver over whether he had paid his fare and ended with officers using a taser while arresting him. The misdemeanor charges of disorderly conduct, resisting arrest, and theft of services were dismissed. The suit, according to Barclay attorney John Katsadis, was settled last month to his client's satisfaction. I forgave them, Alabay said of the case, but what they did was wrong. Bald, thickly built, and wearing a goatee, Saquon's father maintained that he has found contentment in Copley through smarter life choices. Alabay was last a cook at a Chili's restaurant in Whitehall and said he plans on returning to work soon. He is most thankful for how his children have carried themselves, including his teenage twins Ali and Aliyah. They are all respectful, Alabay said. They are all humble. They are all thankful. Saquon's just on a stage that allows everybody to recognize him. Kayla Cunningham met Saquon Barkley when they were in middle school. Cunningham was two years older than Barkley and already an accomplished athlete. They became fast friends and regular combatants in the Cunningham basement, where they fought for control of a soccer ball while crashing into furniture and each other. Cunningham knocked Barkley on his back. Barkley knocked Cunningham on hers. We would destroy the basement, she said. The towel rack in the bathroom was broken. Once, I thought he gave me a concussion, when my head hit the back of the couch so hard. We didn't care. We tackled each other and did whatever we had to do to get the ball.
Nick Shefniski, the quarterback who was also two grade levels ahead of Barkley, used to wipe the floor with Saquon in wrestling matches in the Cunningham basement. Now, I'm scared of him, Shefniski said. The quarterback was there for the start of Barkley's transition from a smallish, insecure sophomore, who thought of quitting the game and later hoped to play for Division II Cutstown University, into a six foot, 233-pound dynamo with a 4.4-second 40-yard dash speed, a Greek god's body, and the goal of becoming an all-time NFL great. Whitehall was playing Emmaus High that day, and on the final snap of the first half, Shefniski heaved a pass to his younger, unproven teammate. It was a Hail Mary, the quarterback recalled, and he went up over two guys and caught it for a touchdown. That was the highlight of the year. Barkley accepted an offer from Rutgers because he couldn't believe a Division I school wanted him on a full ride. This was a familiar theme through young Barkley's narrative. He didn't have a lot of faith in himself. Bob Hartman, the Whitehall athletic director, recalled summoning Barkley to his office to talk about football and schoolwork, and Barkley always asking, on arrival, What did I do wrong? Nothing, of course. He just didn't have self-confidence, Hartman said. Until Penn State. Barkley used the Rutgers scholarship to fuel a newfound passion in the weight room. He blew up as a junior and after James Franklin replaced Bill O'Brien at Penn State, Franklin told Barkley that he needed to switch his commitment to the Nittany Lions, and that he wouldn't take no for an answer. Barkley was a natural-born pleaser, and a young man of his word, and he had given Rutgers coach Kyle Flood his word that he would play for the Scarlet Knights. He wants people to like him, Hartman said. He wants people to be happy. He wants to be able to help people. So Barkley's call to Flood to tell him that he was backing out hurt the recruit as much as it hurt the Rutgers staff. To this day, said Cunningham, a soccer player at Temple, he still feels bad about making that phone call. Before he was done at Whitehall, Barkley had made a big name for himself with explosive touchdown dashes and an act of kindness at a track meet that touched everyone who heard about it. Rachel Ponick of Salcone Valley had won the 100-meter hurdles at the Colonial League Track and Field Championships in 2015, but was forced to rerun the race because of a breakdown in the meet's timing system. Ponick competed in the high jump after her initial hurdles victory and, with tired legs, hit a hurdle and placed eighth in the do-over. Seeing a complete stranger distraught over an obvious injustice, Barkley gave Ponick the gold medal he won in his 100-meter race. Saquon was more upset with me than I told the media. He didn't want anyone to know, said his track coach, Jim Sebasta. I said, Saquon, this is unheard of. People just don't do that. It was the first medal he ever won, in his first year in track at the league meet. He just didn't think it was fair that someone else got screwed. Sebasta said Barkley was always pulling for the least talented kids on his teams. He told Barkley that he had grown into such a reliable role model for younger boys, he surely saved some from joining gangs in Allentown. But Barkley was not a perfect student-athlete at Whitehall, where Charles Huff, then the Penn State running backs coach, and his staffmate Sean Spencer visited Barkley to warn him that his good deeds and respectful disposition wouldn't win him bonus points and makeup tests in state college. I told him the NCAA doesn't have a makeup, recalled Huff, now an assistant head coach at Mississippi State. If your grade point average isn't what it needs to be, 
they'll take this game away from you. I told him, you've got three weeks to get all your grades that are a C and D and make them a mid-C or better, or you're not running track. And three weeks later, all his grades were a mid-C or better. A 3.0 student at Penn State, Barkley promised his mother he would earn his degree. He has been taking two classes online during his pre-draft preparation and figures he'll be about 14 credits short when he's done. Barkley said if he doesn't graduate with his class next spring, he'd like to finish up in 2020. Either way, he will have his first real job before he graduates. The Cleveland Browns will almost certainly take a quarterback with the number one pick. Then Barkley will be in play with the Giants at number two, and possibly again with the Browns at number four. Given the modern NFL's aversion to investing too much in the position he plays, there's a chance Barkley could fall out of the top five. The people who know Barkley and have coached and trained him say that would be a crime. They say Barkley is the best player in this draft, and they offer compelling reasons why. Hartman described Barkley as an old soul who watches old film of old greats. When Hartman and Barkley meet for dinner, the running back is forever asking the AD to rank local players historically. Who were the top ten running backs in Lehigh Valley history? Where does Nick Shefniski rank among the best Whitehall quarterbacks ever? He's passionate about that, Hartman said. He always asks where people stand. For a simple reason, Barkley wants to stand ahead of everyone in his class. If he ends up in Cleveland, he will undoubtedly target Jim Brown as the greatest running back of all. He told me, if I can be LeBron James in Cleveland and turn that program around and win the Super Bowl, it would be the best thing I've done in my life, Cunningham said. Who thinks like that? Nobody wants to go to the Browns. And here he is saying, I want a statue. I'm going to be that image for Cleveland. Barkley put up video game numbers at Penn State and at the Combine. He has less body fat than a supermodel, can catch the ball out of the backfield, and regularly hurdles defenders with the greatest of ease. He's got the quads and calves of a 300-pound bodybuilder, said Brian Stamper, Barkley's trainer at Tom Shaw Performance in Orlando. In one weight room session, Stamper was blown away by Barkley's ability to jump off the floor on his eighth rep with 365 pounds on his back. I just don't know how you can pass on him, Stamper said. Only, he's not a quarterback, and as always, the Browns desperately need one. So what about the Giants in the two-hole? Barkley said he thinks that 37-year-old Eli Manning definitely has a lot in his tank left and is an extraordinary player and that a potential Barkley-Odell-Beckham Jr. pairing would represent a pick-your-poison proposition for opposing defenses. Despite his father's affection for the quarterback-starved Jets, who are picking third, Barkley agreed that the Giants are the better bet to return to the playoffs sooner rather than later. As a first-round running back with matinee-idle looks, Barkley would be a modern-day Frank Gifford in New York, times ten. He would absolutely own the city, said one influential Giants source. On the other hand, Huff made it clear Barkley has no intention of making regular appearances in gossip columns or in compromising social media videos. Saquon's smile and personality is a great match for New York, Huff said. But in the city that never sleeps, I can see him going back to his room after a game and playing video games with his family, going to sleep and then going to practice the next day. I don't see him in clubs in the wee hours of the morning. In the end, 
I don't see him turning into Broadway Joe. In Sailor Park, after the parade and the ceremony and the announcement that Barclay's Whitehall jersey number 21 would be retired after his brother Ali is done wearing it, word spread that Barclay would not be signing autographs. The people lined up anyway and banked on the fact Barclay has trouble saying no. Their hunch paid off. Barclay spent two and a half hours signing autographs and taking selfies for an estimated 2,000 people, the line extending across the street into the food store parking lot. His mother and his agent, Kim Miali of Rock Nation, didn't seem terribly thrilled about it, especially with some fans carrying bags of items to be signed. Someone suggested to Barkley that he stop if and when he grew tired. That wasn't about to happen. Earlier in March, after being honored by state legislators at the Capitol in Harrisburg, Barkley asked the driver and chief of staff for State Representative Gene McNeil to stop their van so he could hop out and sign for the 30 or so teenagers calling his name. Once Barkley got going at Sailor Park, he was never going to stop. There were still kids in the line, Berker said, and even if there were 5,000 of them waiting, he can't say no to a kid. Cunningham was hardly surprised by the scene. She's long known Barkley as a friend of few flaws. His worst offense as a kid, she said, was playing ding-dong ditch. Barkley has had no choice but to grow up fast. He was worried about his pending fatherhood and how he would measure up as a parent, and a week after learning of his girlfriend's pregnancy, Cunningham sent him an encouraging card and a onesie with mocking directions for a rookie dad. I truly believe he will be a better father than football player, Cunningham said. Barkley attended his girlfriend's baby shower after he was finished in Sailor Park, then returned to his pre-draft training. Huff compared his former running back's athleticism to that of Bo Jackson. In speaking about Barkley's character, Huff recalled an 81-yard touchdown in a blowout victory over Purdue. Most players would have been thinking about their sports center highlight near the end of that run, Huff figured. Barkley? He was thinking about stepping out of bounds and allowing a Penn State bench player to enter the game and score on the next play. He's never going to embarrass your franchise, Huff said. He's a down-to-earth kid. He's not the Bronx or the big city. He'd rather sit on his porch, and if three kids come by with a basketball, go out and try to steal their dribble and play with them for two hours. Over his three years at Penn State, Barkley visited his hometown and Whitehall sporting events as often as he could. He swears that no matter where his superhero calves take him, he will return to Copley over and over again. So it's never going to be goodbye, Barkley said. But times and people change. Money and worldwide acclaim turned Joe Montana of Monongahela into Joe Cool in Dark Shades, and Joe Namath of Beaver Falls into Broadway Joe in a mink coat. So what will become of Pennsylvania's latest small-town legend, Saquon Barkley? The good people of Copley believe fame and fortune have finally met their match. Joining me now is ESPN senior writer Ian O'Connor. Ian, thank you for taking the time out of your schedule to talk to us again. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Now, I read your story, which is uh, always meticulously reported. Fantastic. But part of it, though, is... From, not, from everything I've read or heard about Saquon Barkley is it almost seems too good to be true in the sense like the backstory, the evolution to elite athlete, the quiet tales of justice and dedication. It seems that if you walked in with that story to a Hollywood producer, he'd be like, no, I don't believe it. This is not possible. 
You know, and, and Michael, I, I mentioned that to uh, a lot of people in uh, Copley, Pennsylvania, in Whitehall, where he lives, that it does seem too good to be true. It's just the way he carries himself at, at his age, the maturity that he shows on and off the field. And and, and listen, I, I, I just hope fame and fortune doesn't change him because it is true. He, he is genuine. It, it is the real deal. The way he carries himself is actually who he is. It's not an act that he put on before the draft to get picked as high as he did, number two by the New York Giants. And listen, his father lived a very troubled life in the Bronx and then even in Pennsylvania to some degree, mm-hmm. was in prison a number of times for various offenses. I think his mother, also from the Bronx, Tanya Johnson, was really the rock of that family and the rock of his life. And I think both parents, but particularly his mother, deserves a lot of credit for raising this human being uh, the way he is right now. I've been doing this for 30-plus years. I cannot say I've been more impressed by a young athlete entering the NFL than I am by Saquon Barkley. And I think that probably, I would say, helped him get drafted by the New York Giants, who need a a young quarterback to develop behind Eli Manning, Mm -hmm. and had the opportunity to take Sam Darnold or somebody else at number two Mm -hmm. to be that franchise quarterback. I think the Giants do care about character issues, even though they've had problems in the past with certain players. And I think Barkley's character his apparent integrity is something that maybe, I don't know if it made the difference, but I know it appealed to John Mara and the rest of the Giants hierarchy and, and, and was a factor in their decision to take him at number two. Now, going back to what, uh, you know, I'm glad you pointed out how long you've been uh, working on these stories because that's one of the questions I wanted to ask you. With your experience in with all this, like how tested has Barkley been, meaning like after – your story about him going home, it, it's pretty easier. I think it's a lot easier to worry about the opinions of a few thousand people in Copley, Pennsylvania, where it's way more difficult to be the next legend in waiting in New York City and to be able to carry yourself in that stage. No question about it. Uh, and I talked to uh, people around him about the adjustment he's going to have to make in, in New York and in that marketplace. Now, I think he's got the perfect persona and, and personality to to be a big star in New York and to cash in on a lot of endorsement opportunities, but you don't want to take that too far. Everyone around him told me, listen, this this kid's not going to be Broadway Joe part two. He's not going to be out in nightclubs wearing mink coats at 3 a.m. with uh, a drink in each hand. That's just not who he is. It's not what he's going to do. He's more likely after a game to go back to his hotel room, play video games with his family members and friends, and then go to bed and get ready to go to practice the next morning. So will fame and fortune change that and change him? I guess we're going to find out. But uh, I think he's got his head on his shoulders so firmly and squarely that I I don't think New York is going to phase him. I really don't. I don't think it's going to turn him into a character. Look at Odell Beckham Jr. Mm -hmm. Obviously, he got caught up in the trappings of the big marketplace, although I guess you could argue Odell Beckham would have acted out in other places, just like he did in New York, but who knows? It's, it's possible that he got caught up in in in, in all the the bright lights and and the big city noise, and, yep. and that's part of the reason why he's gotten off track a little bit at, off the field anyway. Mm-hmm. But I don't see that happening to to Barkley. I, 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 in fact, he's been working out 
and has maintained a friendship with Beckham for a while now. Mm-hmm. I think he's going to have a positive influence on the older Odell than Beckham is going to have an influence on Barkley. I think Barkley's presence is going to help Beckham mature and, and be the kind of star on and off the field the Giants want him to be. So we'll see if it plays out that way, but that's how I would bet. Well, I know there's a lot of Giants fans with probably tears in their eyes, wishful, hopefully thinking of that you are right on the money. Well, and but my next question is, well, it seems like they're, I mean, obviously the whole uh, the crux of when, when you went to, say, you know, with Saquon Barkley Day and how big that was, and it seems like there's clearly like a whole ton of support for him. How much does that, when does that become the tipping point from support into almost pressure on him? And is that something that, like, that you know, his pressure to the point that it could be a burden, meaning that... Um, is he the kind of athlete person that that's what he thrives on, like the big situations? Yeah, I think so. And, you know, listen, this was a kid who at one point in high school, he, he, he wasn't everybody's All-American starting out as a freshman or even as a sophomore. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, his dream at one point in high school was to play at Cutstown University, Division mm-hmm. II football. And <laughs> then his dream was to play at Rutgers. And he committed to play at Rutgers. And then what killed him was, backing out on that commitment because that's not something that he does. He does. Right. Once he gives his word, it's his word. But he realized that Penn State was just a much better football opportunity and, a, and an offer that he could not turn down once he blew up at Whitehall High School. And so he made a, a smart decision, and he told Rutgers, uh, listen, I'm sorry to do this, but I have to go to Penn State. And it turned out to be a great situation for him. I think – he so embraces that small-town Pennsylvania vibe that you get in Copley and towns like it. And I'm very familiar with small-town Pennsylvania because my wife and her family comes from that. Mm-hmm. And those are real, earnest, working-class people. And he has taken on that personality. I know he was born in the Bronx. I know he spent his first five years there. His parents are tough people from the Bronx. But when you talk, meet him and, and you're around him, you don't get that Bronx vibe. And, yeah. and I'm very familiar with that vibe. <laughs> I was born in the Bronx and spent really, I feel like, half my life there covering the Yankees. Yep. But uh, he is a small-town Pennsylvania guy. That, that's, that's what you get from him when you're around him and, and his family and friends, as I was that day. I've, again, been doing this for three decades. I've never seen a hometown parade for somebody going into the NFL draft. I've just never seen that. And <laughs> <laughs> but I think the community, if the community didn't feel the way it feels about him, that he's one of us, he's ours, and he represents and embodies the values that we cherish as small-town working-class people, they would not have held that parade for him. Right. And so to me, that actually said a lot. And... He was so nervous for that parade, and he <laughs> so embraced it. I think he was just as nervous for that as he was for the draft. It, that, that, that's kind of charming, and I think really represents what he's all about. Now, a couple of times you point out, um, you know, he's going to sign every autograph that's, you know, he doesn't care how long when he sees those kids or when he sees, like, a, in, there's clearly some of the cynics out there are like, okay, I, you can clearly see that this person's going to, you know, they're having him sign this, and that's going to be on eBay like in 25 minutes. And then also going to what you said about Rutgers, about when he gave his word, how it was hard for him to back out of that. How does he, in the arena he's about to step into, like what kind of support network does he have to help him say no? 
Well, certainly, and now he's with uh, Rock Nation, and I think uh, those representatives, uh, Kim Miali and, and others around him, are going to make sure that uh, that doesn't get out of control. I think the Giants have a very good structure in place. Pat Hanlon, their chief PR officer, has been around a long time, been around the market a long time. I think the Giants have a good structure in place that will help him navigate that. But it's it, it's his own moral compass and he wants to be great. He wants to be the greatest running back of all time. Mm-hmm. I, I know just talking to people around him that he's always talking historically, ranking people. and So uh, I think that he's going to be just fine when it comes to that. Now, when a kid wants an autograph, it's going to be nearly impossible for him to say no, and I think that's a good thing. Yes. When he sees adults and it looks like they have a bag of stuff, and, <laughs> and you know, obviously it looks like they might be putting that on eBay, then that's going to be a different story. But uh, a number of people around him, told me that if he ever sees a kid, no matter how successful he becomes in the NFL, he will not blow off that kid. And I think that's good. I think he should maintain that approach because I think not enough athletes do. Now, as you say, I agree with that. And you say he comes across, because he's very humble, he comes across as humble, he doesn't forget this whole parade is basically a, a shining example. He doesn't forget where he's from. And But there's also how driven he is. And you talk about how before the draft even happened and there's a question where he could go, how he was willing to like, I, you know, he wanted to be the King of Cleveland. And it seems like that one of the sole reason was like there had been other Kings of other places. And he wanted to be that represented taking the Browns to the levels of a champion was like the biggest challenge. So that when you have the giants now in play is with the team that he's on, what does that sort of bring to the table to keep him motivated to, like take on the NFL now? Like, is it, as you said, to be the best running back ever? Or is there like other goals that he has besides that? Well, I think, I think now his goal is to be the best New York giant ever. And, and that includes Lawrence Taylor, who might be the best defensive player ever. Right. So, um, but I do think since he's always speaking in historical terms and ranking people, and he always wants to know where people stand. I do think, and I, and from the giants, it, it was a very appealing part of, of his package entering the draft, this kid really burns to be the greatest mm-hmm. at whatever he's doing. So, um, yeah, and, and Kayla Cunningham was a longtime friend of his, now a soccer player at Temple, told me that he, he specifically told her, I want to go, if Cleveland, listen, I think deep down, I know back in October he was telling people he wanted to be in New York. Now his dad wanted him with the Jets because his dad was a big Jets fan. And I think Saquon was a Jets fan as a kid. Yep. But he, I asked him, if you look at the two New York teams, it seems to me, and I think a lot of people, that the Giants are better equipped to get back to the tournament quicker than the Jets because of yeah. Eli and, right. and the structure in place, and he agreed with that. So I think he preferred the Giants, not only because they were picking second and not third, but because they're the Giants and not the Jets. And their history says they are going to put him in a better position to win sooner rather than later. But as much as he wanted to be in New York, he told Kayla Cunningham, if I can be LeBron in Cleveland and I can win a Super Bowl there and end that drought, it's the best thing I'll ever do in my life, right? Mm -hmm. And he wanted a statue in Cleveland. That was something that he told her. And so he looked at LeBron, and, and I'm sure that uh, I believe he met Jim Brown at a certain point. Mm-hmm. I'm sure they had a conversation about what it would mean to win a championship like Brown did as a running back in Cleveland. And so there was nothing on the board. He was not shying away from the challenge of Cleveland, even if he really wanted 
the spotlight and uh, being closer to, to, to his hometown in New York. And, and so I don't think there's any challenge that he was going to shy away from, which, of course, is, is a really good thing if you're his employer now in the NFL. Now, going back to you spoke about, you know, part of his background with his parents and his father. And his, his father in Pennsylvania had one incident you, you mentioned uh, where an argument on a bus about a fare escalated to the police being involved in him getting tased. And then there's another story about how Saquon famously gave his gold medal on track to someone he felt that had been cheated out of one. And you add these stories to what his parents told him about the more, the way that his mother told it through you, it wasn't really moving out of the Bronx, but more fleeing the Bronx. This sounds like, like this is a background of someone who, while he's a pleaser, he's almost in a way like an activist in training. So like when he gets to the brighter lights and like, you know, the capital of the world, New York city, like if he sees injustice, is he someone you feel that will be willing to stand in front of these microphones and say the unpopular thing? You know, I, that's a good question, Michael. I, I don't know his background in terms of social activism, to what extent he's gotten involved in that. Um, but that, that actually is going to be very interesting to watch. And, and of course, we've seen the NFL uh, be at the center of, of social issues with the Kaepernick protest starting a wave of similar protests around the NFL, uh, president getting involved, owners and players trying to figure out how to proceed. Mm-hmm. And, and, and so, yeah, I, I'd like to see how he uses his voice when it comes to social, racial issues in the NFL and beyond. And I don't know the answer to that question. My suspicion is, as a guy who seems to take on challenges, he's not going to back away from anything. And if he sees an opportunity to make a difference, Saquon Barkley is going to take that opportunity and make that difference. So I don't think he's going to be a shrinking violet on on any issues. Uh, but uh, I don't know to what extent uh, he's taken a stand at uh, Penn State uh, or anywhere else. So it, it'll be it'll be interesting to see. I know the New York Giants are looked at around uh, the NFL, around sports, around New York as a conservative franchise, but. Uh, Listen, he, I, I think, is, is a guy who's a very strong individual, mm-hmm. and I would not be surprised at all to see him use his platform and exert his voice if he sees the need to do that. Now, you close, uh, you close by expressing what basically all of Copley said to you in one way or another, that, that this won't change Saquon and that, that um, the great line where you have that fame and fortune have met their match. Now, do you feel that's how Saquon would like to be remembered years from now, meaning that if he is thought of as a humble superstar, which one of those two words, humble or superstar, would be more important to him? I think humble. I really do. And I, I, I think that most kids might say that and not really mean it. And I think he, he would mean it. And I think that humility is a big part of who he is and, and how he was raised. And just interacting with him a little bit at the parade, you could just it just emanates from him. That That, that is a big part of of who he is. So uh, I think uh, he realizes he would be a very big disappointment to his family had to become something other than, than humble as an NFL star. So uh, I suspect I would be shocked really if fame and fortune wins that battle uh, with him. There's one other player, one other athlete in recent years that stands out to me, Carl Anthony Towns now with uh, Minnesota was yep. the number one pick in the draft in the NBA. Also a very similar person and and vibe I got from him 
in terms of humility and being selfless. And I think this kid really has a chance to be something special in that regard in New York. And Derek Jeter set a certain standard in the way he carried himself. I think that Barkley might be the athlete, the next athlete to pick up that that mantle or that torch and carry it now for the next 10 to 12 years. And, and hopefully he stays healthy. I mean, that's the big thing is right. he's playing a position where it's tough to do that. And obviously in the NFL, running backs get uh, chewed up and <laughs> spit out at times. So I'd like to see him stay around for a long time. I think I wrote in a piece that he'd be Frank Gifford times 10 as a matinee idol in New York. When you look at his looks and the yes. smile and the talent and everything else, he could be really the, the biggest matinee idol as a running back in New York since Gifford. And, and uh, my mother and plenty of uh, women of that generation were in love with him. And I think Saquon Barkley is going to have the same uh, effect on, on people uh, in this generation. So uh, I, I'm really looking forward to – I'm glad he's in New York. I'm glad I'm going to get the chance since I live 15 miles from, from East Rutherford to see him <laughs> play right. a lot. Yeah, and uh, it's going to be fun. Well, I'm sure we have uh, – both of us living in New Jersey have uh, a lot of people with connections to Giants tickets, and it's interesting how one person is going to probably change the whole dynamic from stories where I had – countless different friends with tickets to the Giants. They couldn't get rid of them in December. And now I think suddenly this is going to be must-watch television when he takes the field. Yeah, I think when you look at uh, some of the freakish plays he had at Penn State, some of the runs, hurdling defenders, stopping on a dime, cutbacks, it's like looking at a combination of, of Barry Sanders and, I don't know, name your a great running back who could, I mean, he's really a unique talent. I, I would say going into the draft, I was torn. I, I really do think the Giants obviously need to develop a franchise quarterback behind Eli Manning at age 37, and I like Darnold a lot. Mm-hmm. I, I think him sitting there, if it, if it were a different quarterback, maybe I would have felt differently. I realize how ridiculously good Barkley is, but they had a chance, they're never going to have a chance, or it's going to be a long time before they have a chance to draft so high in the first round. To not right. take a quarterback was a very difficult thing, but they definitely took the best player in the draft and the most exciting player in the draft, and and so it's going to be fun. If, if Eli can stay upright, they've improved the offensive line. If Beckham can keep his act together, keep his head on straight, you look at that combination of a two-time Super Bowl MVP – with an offensive line that's improved and Beckham on the outside and Barkley can catch the ball in the backfield, in the backfield, the Giants actually have a chance to be a very explosive offense. So I do think uh, that will become a tough ticket this year, next year, pretty soon. Yep. And uh, it'll be a good thing to have the Giants back as a competitive team because this year was a very difficult thing for them to live through. Well, it's absolutely going to be fun to watch. Ian, thank you so much again for your time. Michael, it was a pleasure. Thank you for having me. All right, take care. You too. Take care. Bye-bye. Remember to subscribe to Double Truck Stories Podcast on the ESPN app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks again, and we'll be back soon with more Double Truck Stories Podcasts.